Hello and welcome to the Jesuit Border Podcast. This podcast explores the humanitarian response along the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. My name is Louis Hotop. And I'm Brian Strasberger. We're a pair of Jesuit priests missioned to the Diocese of Brownsville, Texas. We're not from the border, but we live here now. This podcast highlights some of the work that the Catholic Church and others are doing to address the needs along the border. The Jesuit Border Podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Let's begin. Vamos! In this episode, we're going to talk about the art of storytelling. We will be interviewing Laura Pena, who is an attorney and activist from right here in the RGV, and the host of a new podcast, Valle de Sueños, or Valley of Dreams. Stay tuned for that interview, but first... Let's talk a little bit about our own ventures in the art of storytelling, specifically through this podcast. This is Very Meta, Brian, a podcast about podcasts. Exactly. Isn't that why people tune into podcasts? (laughs) I think so. They love podcasts. We just love them. Love them up. (laughs) It's a very Catholic thing, though, at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of the synod on synodality. I I really think we're following the Pope on this one. Well, you know, the podcast started because we were down here, and in the first few months, it was like a lot of people had been reaching out to us to hear about our experiences on the border, what's going on there, wanting to be filled in. And so we talked about some different ways about how we could kind of share from our experience and share it with others. And we really, I mean, at first, it was kind of like, how can this be an educational tool? You know, I've got all these people that are like, what's the border like? What's happening? What what are some of the things that you're learning and you get kind of tired, you know, after a while, you, you want to share, but you've, you're constantly reporting similar things. And, and so the podcast kind of came out of that. It's like, how could this be a tool for people to learn more about the border? Um, and I think we, we started off in a different way from where we ended up. Yeah, the, when we first started off, we thought, okay, well, we got, I mean, we got to explain things as we're learning about them. And so I still remember when we, co- we recorded this uh, pilot episode just to kind of see how it would go. We had this whole section that was about like the facts we're learning, like the facts section before getting into an interview. And so we, I had this like five page long script about title 42. And I'm just like running through this to try to, I want to fill people in on this. And at the end of all that, I was kind of like, I don't even know if I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I might be one step ahead of people in other parts of the country, but I'm like still five steps behind anyone who actually knows what they're talking about. And at the time, you know, at the time we then we were trying to come up with other solutions. Well, maybe we we have a special section called Ask Nancy. That was it. Nancy Dimas (laughs) trying to get her because she's got all this experience, especially with talking to migrants about the law and their different rights and the asylum process. It was like, let's just bring in Nancy. Well, she's got a life, you know. <laughs> she's got a whole world going on. So we had these big dreams about what this podcast could be, and then it just had to change and shift, especially given, you know, what are we really experts in? Well, not much, but we can share from our own experience. You know, we can share from from our ministry, and we can invite experts, real experts, on to talk about their own work and, and their own field. And I think it very early on... Louis, you had the insight in particular that it's like, if we're going to do this, I think the, the best way to kind of share from our experiences and to draw it out of others is to tell stories. They're on-the-ground experiences. It, it humanizes 
what we're experiencing encountering, because that's not what you get in general when you're talking about what do you see in any media form that's talking about the border. Too often, the big things, especially like news headlines, capture statistics and numbers and border policy and paint these big pictures. I mean, some journalists, of course, do a good job of getting weaving the stories in there and telling it through that. But that was in particular, I think, the medium we decided we want to go with. And that is what we encounter. You know, it's constantly, constantly, constantly listening to people's stories, listening. How did I get here? I mean, that's that's a whole, you know, every every single family that we interact with could write a book just answering that question. How did I get here? And so I think as we were exploring, what does this podcast look like? Well, stories began to emerge again and again, and our own stories, you know, talking, reflecting on our own uh, successes and failures here on the border in this new mission and this in this creative process. And so it's definitely been, I mean, even just a podcast about podcasts, it has been uh, a resource for us too, you know, to be able to share these things, but also to kind of collect our own, you know, what are our thoughts about this and what are our, our ways of thinking about where this ministry is going? So it's definitely uh, been a good tool for us too. And that's what we're always trying to bring out in the interviews as well, is not only to ask some detailed questions, but also to draw out stories. And it's really remarkable sometimes, the stories that can emerge when you invite someone into that space. Yeah, I think of Father Joel Flores, who we interviewed during our first season, our second season, during our second season, who uh, we brought him on for uh, burying the dead, you know, this corporal work of mercy. And it's because he has a ministry where he takes uh, the bodies of undocumented people who've crossed the border, who've died in the United States, and very often, well, they don't have family, they have no one who's claimed the body, and often go without a name, without identification, uh, without any sort of paperwork identifying who they are. And so he and his church have a process where they receive the bodies, they bury them, in a grave that's near the church, and they gather together and they pray. I mean, it's that kind of story I, I would have never expected to come out of this this podcast. And yet, I think it's exactly the kind of story that we are looking for. You know, it's 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 sad, of course. It's a it's a difficult reality. It highlights a lot of the forces here along the border. But it also highlights the beauty of the people and how they respond. You know, the beauty of a community coming together. Maybe it's something they don't totally understand. You know, and at the same time, the dignity that they want to uh, that they would like to pay to a complete stranger comes out. I mean, I think I think that's one of my favorite moments was was highlighting the work that he's doing and 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 having these unexpected stories of of this kind of encounter that on the surface seems somewhat ugly. But when you dig a little deeper, it's really, really beautiful. Sometimes it takes more effort to kind of coax uh, stories out of out of someone that you're interviewing. It kind of depends. And others are just absolute naturals at it. I think of an earlier episode of this season with Joanna Williams from the Kino Border Initiative, uh, who is just so so talented at weaving in stories very naturally to any any response that she's given. Uh, and she's got a gift for that. A friend of hers lives down here in the valley and, and described Johanna as someone who speaks in complete paragraphs. And I think that's certainly true and came out in our interview with her. And another person who also was great at painting images, and, and maybe it's the image that has stuck with me the most in our two years, four seasons of doing this podcast, was our very first interview with Bishop Daniel Flores here in the valley, where he painted this picture of 
reaching the gates of heaven and what, what he thought that would be like. And he had this image of St. Peter being there and being surrounded by the poor, and that he has, asks just one question, and it's not directed to you, it's directed to those around him. And he says, can anyone speak on his behalf? And that's just an image that continues to sit with me, and it's a way storytelling and images that get painted can stick with you uh, that can have a, a more lasting impact. And of course, you know, we, we know we're not perfect at this, right? Like, we're still looking for ways to, to expand, you know, the way that we're doing this project. We have kind of a system in place, but, but there is a big question of, you know, so much of what we're trying to do is the storytelling, and we're often telling the stories of others. So we, we encounter migrants, we encounter families, and we, we, ha- we hear what they're, what they're telling us, and then we try to share them through this podcast or, or through another person who we're interviewing. And sometimes, you know, that, that's limited because we don't have the direct voice of a, of a migrant themselves. We don't have a direct voice of, of the families that are going through these, these situations. And, and part of that is just the limitations of, of podcasts. Part of that is the limitations of language. You know, we, how, do we, how do we get the right resources in place in order, to, in order to convey a good story and to do translation and to do voiceover and to, you know, do all these things? And so we do see that as a limitation of this, this format, but, uh, but, you know, we've been exploring a little bit of, that, of how to do that. Yeah, that's right. In, in December, we were asked by the Ignatian Solidarity Network to put together an audio reflection uh, for the Posada, which is uh, an Advent uh, tradition, especially in, in Mexican culture. And so what we did is we reached out to a couple of migrants over WhatsApp and just asked if they could answer a couple of questions uh, in kind of a, a succinct way, kind of ter- telling some of their story to give voice to them. And we got two fairly different responses. Yeah. Roberto, who I reached out to, a family from Venezuela who ended up in Philadelphia, and I worked pretty intensely with them to try to get them housing, worked with a pastor. That, I mean, they were a family that I felt it was maybe just one of those moments where it's like, I'm going to have favorites right now, you know? <laughs> like, and it was this family, the be- beautiful, beautiful family. And so I asked him to tell his story. You know, and so he's he did like twenty seconds for each question, <laughs> and then like I had to kind of go back and be like, "Could you give a little more details here? Could you get?" So he didn't make it all that easy to get all the details out, but that was not quite the problem that Brian had. That's right. I reached out to Claudia, who we've talked about on this podcast before, a great friend of our ours, Honduran, who worked in the plaza, running one of the kitchens, and is living in St. Louis now. And I asked her the same series of questions. And I did have to get back to her a time or two and be like, can you, can you send me those responses? We're kind of on a quick timeline. And then I open up my WhatsApp one afternoon, and I have a series of voice recordings that add up to a total of over 45 minutes of audio that include Claudia recounting basically her entire migrant experience. It involved a lot of tears, a lot of emotion. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful, a beautiful sharing, a beautiful response to what we'd asked for. But that... But then I, I was like, what do we do with this? Yeah, how do you even edit it? What do you, you know, how do we get people to, so what we did was we just sent all the files over <laughs> yeah. and said, do something with 
And they did. And I think they turned yeah. it into a beautiful, about a 10-minute or so reflection that in- included the voices of both Roberto and Claudia. And so I think it came out well, but it did highlight some of the limitations that we have and some of the challenges that can come with it. And so if there's anyone out there who really wants to offer yeah. their time and services to do translations, voiceovers, and if we just send you audio of migrants, we're happy to get some more of those voices onto this podcast. I think Claudia really just needs her own podcast. I would I listen. Think- yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I think it, we could call it like Carpa Amaria, which was the name right. of the kitchen where she worked out of. So I think uh, I think we're onto something there. That's a great idea. We could the world could use more podcasts, you know. This one's been a great one. You're going to hear about one in our interview for today. Uh, Laura Peña has her own podcast that she started uh, called Valle de Sueños or the Valley of Dreams. So we'll turn it over now. Please enjoy our interview with Laura Peña. We are delighted to welcome to this episode Laura Pena. She is an attorney and activist from right here in the RGV who is now taking over as the new director of ProBar, the South Texas Pro Bono Asylum Representation Project. She's also the host of a brand new podcast, Valle de Sueños, telling the story of the rolldown of the Remain in Mexico policy in 2021 in Matamoros. Thank you for joining us, Laura. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Maybe a way to just get started is you could tell us a little bit about this podcast and the origin of it and what made you want to tell these stories. Well, as uh, you both have come to learn, there are so many amazing people committed to improving uh, the situation on the border for everyone, right? Uh, But in particular, for the migrants who are seeking protection uh, at the border. And so after uh, a while of working in, in community, Uh, In collaboration with many people, I thought it would just be amazing to just capture one snapshot, one period of time in which we were all working towards a common objective. And when I say all, it's primarily the advocates um, uh, based in the Rio Grande Valley. But also we have, uh, as as you all also know, uh, migrants themselves who have committed uh, their their lives to ensuring that progress, that change can become a reality uh, for the situation of the many on the border. So after reflecting on that and trying to figure out what's the best medium, you know, it's sort of a popular thing, the podcast idea. And I was very fortunate uh, to get a co-creator in Charlie Vela, who is a phenomenally talented um, artist, uh, musician and sound engineer here in the Rio Grande Valley. So that's where Valle de Sueños came to be. And so doing a podcast, getting that out there in this kind of this new art form that people are really taking on that have really grabbed people. What have you learned? You know, what have you learned about just having to put that kind of thing together and, and tell a narrative in, in that particular way? It's a very specific form of storytelling, And I love telling stories. I love writing stories. And I've found the podcast because we we conducted the interviews and we took our time, right? And the thing about, uh, you know, the past is it can sort of evolve as time uh, goes on. So it's now been two years since 
uh, the roll down of MPP, at least at the beginning, uh, for the closure of the first Matamoros encampment. So with time also comes reflection and being able to still go back and listen to people's uh, account of what happened during that period of time, uh, reflect on it, and see that it's still wholly relevant to today's situation on the border has been really um, not surprising, but it has been, um, it's it's almost like a timeless story. <laughs> um, and that kind of is the situation, you know, for, for people, migration, people are on the move. Uh, at any, any given moment in time. I wonder, uh, you know, just to help encourage people to turn over to your podcast, if you could just share a little bit about what what is the snapshot you're specifically looking at, uh, and could you paint the picture for us a little bit and maybe share a story or two that struck out stuck uh, has stuck out to you as you've been uh, putting together this podcast, looking at that roll down of the MPPs? Mm-hmm. So uh, in February 2021, you can imagine it was the beginning of the Biden, Biden administration. So hopes were high for the Biden administration. And I think there were really ambitious people within the administration who did want to roll down uh, the Trump era policies. And so uh, the time frame I'm looking at, it's literally 10 days of time in which uh, the, the White House, the U.S. government the Mexican government and the international organization UNHCR, the uh, High Commission on Refugees, had come together and created an agreement. There was enough political will to say, we are going to look at this encampment, this group of people, this community, and we are going to ensure that they can be processed into the United States all at once. We're going to close the camp down. And so the story is what, what, what can happen when there is the political well of the United States, Mexico, and international support to, to ensure that there are no camps, right, that people are treated uh, with dignity and humanity, uh, and that the work can happen quickly when there is that sort of political will. And so advocates on the ground really helped facilitate that happening. Uh, some of the stories are, um, you know, your guests that have been here on the on the podcast. Um, you know, Sister Norma Pimentel uh, played a critical role, but also others: Andrea Rudnick with uh, Team Brownsville, um, Felicia Rangel, Sampanaro with the Sidewalk School. So anything from how do we deal with people's pets? You know, people had been living in in the camp for a year and a half, two years. They had pets. What do we do with the pets? Um, all the way to more serious issues like family separations that were happening. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think it's so essential to to really delve deep into these topics, you know, and to look at them not just as you know something that happened in the news, but as real human stories, right? As as real people who were living in these situations, who who you know, those of us who are advocates down here, those of us who are working in this area barely understand, <laughs> you know, like what's going on and why it's going on and what rules are at play and what ones are being taken away and how it changed, all that. And then how do you expect the migrants themselves to be caught up with everything and to learn everything? And what do I do with my pets? What do I do with my children? What do I do, you know, with this or that issue? So I'm wondering if, you know, just in your own work, as you're delving into these topics deeper and deeper, are there any stories of, of maybe resilience that you've come across? Any stories of, of people really uh, 
really taking on the pressures and, and the difficulties of this time, but also finding a, a place for themselves to, to, to rise up and, and maybe to rely on the hope that, that so many of them have that we encounter. I do highlight a, a couple of stories. Um, one is Antonio. Uh, he's a, a asylum seeker migrant himself. He's now in the U.S. Uh, but he was one of the folks whose cases sort of fell through the cracks. And he was at risk of not uh, being able to enter the United States uh, because of the MPP system. He was also our legal assistant inside the encampment because, you know, inside the camp, you have nurses, you have lawyers, you have doctors, you have teachers, you have all sorts of professionals. You have, you know, former municipal workers who can help make sure the camp, you know, functions. Um, and, and so Antonio, um, which is not his real name, uh, but the name that we used, uh, was also a legal assistant. So it was very... It was really hard to talk with him and know that he had literally helped hundreds and hundreds of people with their own paperwork uh, to get through the asylum process, the MPP asylum process, which was really a joke. Um, and, but he himself uh, had been denied um, uh, his, you know, his case and then the administration was pushing back as to whether or not they would uh, consider individuals like him. So Antonio, you sort of learn about throughout the podcast and you sort of see how at the end where it was about 800 uh, migrants who were living in the camp, what happened to these last group of individuals whose cases had already been denied. They called themselves Los Olvidados, the Forgotten and it became incredibly intense, and that's when we really had to um, pull together as advocates and really demand that this, you know, that these group of people were given a fair shot, uh, because that's not what MPP was. There are too many people who get forgotten in the mix of what happens along our border, people who get ignored and, and overlooked, and trying to give voice to those stories, continue to try to advocate for them, I think is so essential and so important. Uh, and it's part of the reason why storytelling, like uh, the, the podcast, your, your podcast, what we try to do on this podcast, we're trying to do to kind of elevate some of those and, and bring those to people's attention, uh, because it can, it can really, I think, change, change hearts. And I think that's important if we're going to talk about making real change on a bigger level. And so I'm sure that's part of what's inspiring your own storytelling with the podcast and otherwise. Just uh, makes me wonder, like, is podcasting something that's that's been an interest in your past? You know, what what is your back? I mean, you, you've got a legal background, uh, an attorney by trade, but but what was it that really inspired that that desire to say, you know, I, I'm, I like storytelling, but I, I'm going to do it in this medium and in this way, and this is what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, the podcast as a medium came probably after I tried to write a book, and it was just so I, I couldn't do all all of the sitting required, and then there was the agent piece, and I didn't really want to self publish. So I think for me, the podcast I wanted to story tell. I had this concept, and I thought it was I thought it was a really uh, it was a story that should be told. Um, and so I started pitching it to some people, and I got a good response. And I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it, um, but I always thought I could be on NPR. I could be a, a host on NPR. That was like a big dream of mine. I love NPR. Sad we don't have it here in the Valley anymore. I still stream it. Uh, but so, yeah, I've always been a fan of radio, too. 
And I think, I mean, I think there's something powerful. It's one thing to write down quotes from people who you've interviewed, which you would do in a book or, or to prepare an article. But it's another thing to have their voice alongside your own. You know, it's another thing to to be joined with them to to engage in this project together. Of course, you're doing a lot of legwork behind the scenes to get a podcast off the ground. But at the same time, I, I think there's something like what you're saying. There's something shared in in this kind of medium that's that's not always expressed through writing. Agreed. And I I wonder, you know, just in your own reflection on that kind of collaboration. So you're you're documenting a time where the groups really had to come together to collaborate, to help people, to help the forgotten people. And so, and now you're collaborating again, you're coming back to some of these, these older stories, uh, that, these war stories that you share. And so what is that like? What is that like to go back to these same people to, to bring back these stories back to life? I think it's incredibly empowering. I see uh, folks who are in the podcast feel really um, honored that their that their version of what happened is being told. Uh, and I just saw Angel, who's on my podcast, and, Angel, and I said, oh, my star, you know, the star of the podcast, because I use quite a bit of Angel. It's a fabulous perspective. And, and he blushed. And, you know, it's just incredibly validating. Uh, the work that you know, everybody wants to be seen at the end of the day and this work can be so grueling and you can spend so much of your time trying to see others as part of your work that sometimes you forgot that you also need to be seen. So for me, it's an incredible privilege to put a spotlight on the amazing people who do this work. There are so many amazing people. We've we've tried to interview a bunch of them on this podcast. We'll continue to do so. I think so. Uh, you know, it's just a, it, it's it's so impressive to us. And and then there's so many lessons I think that have been learned through the process. I mean, when we got down here a few months after the roll down, and then we learned about a growing encampment in Matamoros and or in Reynosa, sorry, in the plaza, and. Uh, just in conversations we were having with local NGOs, it seemed like they were applying a lot of the lessons they learned for better or more often for worse in terms of some of the difficulties they expected to face, some of the concerns that they had, uh, the attempts to collaborate with local municipal governments and some of the frustrations there. And it became very clear to, I think, the two of us from the beginning that it's like we came came into this without that that experience that so many other groups and organizations are bringing. And so it became very striking because sometimes you'd have a conversation with someone and they'd say like, yeah, I mean, that's great, but you've only been here a few months. I've been here since working since 2018. It's like, that doesn't sound like a long time. But then if you've been here for a little while, it's like, holy cow, since 2018, (laughs) that was forever ago. I mean, uh, you know, it's a different administration. So many things change. So the things are constantly in flux. It's constantly a learning process. As you think about your years of work in the Valley, especially with migration as an attorney and otherwise, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned uh, through, through your, through your work here that are, that are, that you carry with you and that help inform you as you, as you move into a new role? Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm I'm a border native. I was uh, born in Harlingen, raised in McAllen, and now I live in Brownsville. Um, but I left for many years. I was gone for almost 18 years before returning home. Um, so I think 
um, as a border native, I think the lens that I take my work, that I, I do my work, the lens that I, I do my work through is, is very much uh, having grown up here and knowing that, I mean, I had a fabulous childhood. I was very fortunate, blessed to have a fabulous childhood. Um, two parents, uh, three siblings, uh, horses, cows, you know, we lived on, on some land. Uh, I was uh, in marching band, it's a big deal in Texas. Uh, and so, uh, but at the same time, you know, we also grew up going across a lot into Matamoros uh, and to Reynosa, you know, whether it was for dental care or medications or um, for for dinner, special occasions. Um, and so that was, so the border is, you know, it's a binational community. It always has been. And so I ended up going into immigration law. And when I returned home, it was the middle of the family separation crisis and the zero tolerance policy. And I came home because I knew that my skills were needed. And uh, having lived almost 10 years in Washington, D.C., and then also in the Bay Area and Southern California, um, bringing sort of... Uh, my experiences in the big cities, right? And coming back home to a relatively small community um, or smaller community uh, uh, has been, uh, it's actually the most complex work that I've ever done. Um, and I, you know, served in the Obama administration focused on global human trafficking, right? And so massive massive policy issues. Uh, I'm former law enforcement. I was actually an ICE prosecutor uh, in Southern California. So I've actually been on the other side. Um, I worked for big high-tech companies and um, served there for national employees trying to figure out how to make sure they could get, you know, whatever global talent they needed to make the goods in, in America. So I have this really nuanced and broad understanding of issues around migration and immigration and bringing them all to bear here in South Texas has, it makes me feel that this is really truly why I was doing all of that work and it has been my calling. And I've been very, very blessed to be home closer to my families and you know, you're just sort of, I'm a vessel. Um, that's how I see myself, I, how I see the work. And I've learned so much. I continue to learn so much. The issues are so deeply complex. Um, but at the same time, there's so much joy to be found and discovered. And that has really been the icing on the cake is to find so many people who are doing this as a labor of love and to be in community with them. You know, I think that's, that's such a powerful testimony to the importance of, of being rooted somewhere, but also of having exposure beyond just the immediate, you know, having all this history and all this experience and, and bringing that here to be that vessel, I think is so important. I think we think of ourselves in some ways as a vessel or a vector for getting information out to to other people about what's really happening here on the border, mm -hmm. uh, especially with all the news that comes in and and you know, gets in people's minds just these buzzwords that are used, you know, like caravans of millions of migrants and, you know, the pressure on the border and all that kind of stuff that gets put out there on and on both sides, you know, it just kind of makes more money for these media outlets to 
to to show you know the great pressures that are here and i'm wondering you know with with that in mind that that's what people bring into the conversation about the border what's something you wish they knew what's something that's what's something that's missing from that kind of narrative that you wish people understood about the reality here especially from a nuanced perspective like your own mhm I've heard a few of your other episodes, and I hear how people responded to that question. I'm like, oh, those are such good responses. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, what is my response going to be? I'm going to give a little bit of background. So growing up, the border was really, we felt very isolated from the rest of Texas and the rest of the United States. We were our own little place. Um, ni de aquí, ni de allá, right? Neither from here nor there, right? Some sort of like place in between. And, um, and I think that can be a positive thing. I think growing up, it felt like an isolating thing. Um, but, uh, at the same time, it means that it's a place where worlds come together, which is extremely beautiful. If I, if I would have like one takeaway for folks, I, mean, I ride my 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 bicycle with a couple of friends along the levee, um, and it's literally along the Rio Grande River, and it is so gorgeous. I mean, you see sunflowers, uh, the water is beautiful. You can hear uh, children laughing from from Matamoros, from the other side, the side in Mexico. You can smell the food. You can hear music. Um, and it really, it's just another community, right? It, it, is, it is not a scary, uh, a nefarious thing. Uh, it's just people who live in another part of, of our community. And so I think that image is really helpful um, Unfortunately, it's that that vision is sometimes interrupted by a lot of concertina wire and that keeps getting up. Uh, I think that's Operation Lone Star. But and, you know, there's there's the wall for sure. But there is still space that we even though it's an international space that at least here on here on the border, a number of people still try and claim as our own. And that we can walk these areas. And sometimes we'll see people, and it's it's not a big deal. It really is not a big deal. Um, if I were to compare it to a city, um, it's like being in a, in a neighborhood. Maybe you go to a new neighborhood, and you're not familiar with the neighborhood, but there may be people from all different t- walks of life walking around. And so literally the other side of the border, Mexico, is just another neighborhood for us. And if you think about it in that way, well, you want to be, you, you don't want to ostracize your neighbors, right? You want to be on good terms with your neighbors uh, because it's, a, it's critical for the community, right? It's critical for safety. It's critical for health reasons. It's lots of good reasons to be on good terms with your neighbors. And so... Yeah, that's that's kind of how I think about the border and where I live. What would you say is is your hope for people that you meet here on the border, migrants especially? Um, you know, what 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 does hope look like uh, from from what you've seen, from what they encounter both along the border and as they get into the country? Uh, how would you articulate that? Mm-hmm. My hope for everyone who would come through the border 
uh, as you're seeking protection is that they find someone who can help them heal. And uh, many people um, do not have, whether it's the resources, uh, the community, um, the ability to just navigate the system, uh, and systems just being the U.S. communities, right? So uh, our communities can be quite isolating. And so my hope would be that people uh, find somebody to help them heal from what they have gone through to be able to have the resilience to continue, uh, you know, pushing forward for a better future for themselves and for their families. Uh, and I, I find that that is this transition period, right? And I called the border the place in between. Um, it's like, okay, you go through that in-between place and then you're on the other side, right? El otro lado, right? It's all going to be better on the other side and you just push away everything else that happened before. And, and that can result in, a, you know, unhealed trauma can be really, really hard for people to recover from. So that would be my hope is healing. You know, I'm just thinking, just thinking out loud. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this is something that we could do. We could collaborate a little here, uh, you know, form something new. Maybe we could get a little crossover episode going. Hey, I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. Sort of a CSI law and order combo. <laughs> combo. I like it. You might be more law and order. <laughs> we're like CSI. I don't Miami. think we're quite like CSI. No, <laughs> no we're more like Barney sing along, I think. But. <laughs> Laura. I like the idea. No, yeah, I, like I the think idea. there's there's something here. There's always so. there's always something new to be done. So, but uh, Laura, thank you for joining us. Thank you for for being a part of the podcast today, and um, and we're looking forward to to following you and following your work here, but also continuing to to listen to your your own podcast. Thank you. Yes, if folks want to check it out, Valle de Sueños, it's on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Uh, it can also be found com. Great. And we will share those links in the show notes. So check them out and tune in to her podcast. Thank you again for joining us for this episode. Thank you, guys. Best of luck to you. Well, that's our episode for this week. We're grateful to Laura Peña for joining us. This podcast is edited and produced by the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. and hosted by the Jesuit Post. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to hear more about the U.S.-Mexico border from a Catholic perspective. We'll see you next week on the Jesuit Border Podcast. Nos vemos!